Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm joined in the studio for the final time this year uh, by Bernard Callio for our monthly comic book segment, Drawn Out, in which we kind of uh, we get rapturous and excited about the potential of pictures and words combined in a series of panels on a page. Indeed, we climb in between the panels and we uh, we we get down into the gutter. As it's called. Ooh. <laughs> Looking at the stars, presumably. <laughs> hey, nice. Alan Moore knows the score. He, he does know the score. Uh, but also nice... Uh, uh, um uh, reference there uh, with looking at the stars because the first book I'd like to talk about today is a book that you lent me, uh, uh, Richard, from your travels in Ireland uh, earlier this year. And this is a book you found called The Bog Road, uh, uh, published by Atomic Diner and by a guy called Barry Keegan. Um, very much an extremely Irish, Irish comic book. Uh, and I delighted to note, uh, supported by the Creative Ireland program, uh, 2017 to 2022. So that's that's great to see. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, funding support for comics uh, later in the segment as well for local comics. But uh, yeah, I have really enjoyed reading The Bog Road uh, and particularly uh, the way that Barry Keegan works and that's great not knowing the local Celtic mythology of a place because you go, is he making this up is it something that his auntie told him you know or you know that that everybody in that county county laoi um leash leash it's spelt l a o o i s yes so i initially looked at it and went Laois, yes. but uh, no. According to my Irish flatmate, it's yeah. County Leash. County Leash. Okay, so we're so we're in the County Leash. Uh, uh, it's uh, so it's a handsome uh, volume in terms of it, comic book format. Uh, th- that is sort of between A five and A four. It is a glossy paper, color illustrations. Uh, Barry is a really lovely illustrator, um, and uh, it's a contem- set in the contemporary times, uh, but the Basically, I suppose, really, the, the creatures of the earth and the uh, mythic figures of the, of the local uh, area uh, are rising up against the humans, really, to sort of to, to talk, to, to sort of uh, uh, comment on their actions, particularly of the deforestation of the local area. Um, yeah, and it's 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 a drenched in melancholy book. I really enjoyed that sense of the the main human figure is a, is a man who's quite haunted um, uh, uh, by the death of his son uh, in in one of these incidents, and uh, uh, so he and and he keeps returning to the pub, of course, uh, uh, to have conversations with the other uh, 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 human. Uh, inhabitants of the area, and they and, and they sort of uh, uh, keep on t- saying to him, "Ah, oh, what are you talking about? There's nothing out there. Don't be silly. Uh, There's no such thing as bog monsters." <laughs> that's basically that's what they keep saying to him. Uh, so what I yeah really appreciate about this book is that it's is it's exploration of that 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 beautiful dividing line, the the real and the everyday, and the, the, that spirit world that exists and and feeds the 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 reality. 
of, of, of the characters. So yeah, it was it's a it's a it's a great book. I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, really, really did. I picked it up in Belfast. I'd been into a couple of different uh, in each major city I went to in Ireland in September. I hunted down independent record stores and uh, independent comic shops. Yeah, and good barometers I, of, of of cultural health. And I I'd found a comic by uh, this kind of writer and artist because he illustrates his own comics mm. uh, as well as writing them. Uh, Barry Keegan, uh, a new. Uh, series called um, uh, The Dark Pool and it, I'd found issue one and it was just the single comic and I thought I'm really tempted to buy this but then I may never get parts two, three and four. Yeah, sure. Um, so then literally a couple of weeks later I found The Bog Road which is an older comic published uh, as you said a couple of years ago now um, and really glad I picked it up because yeah, as you say that combination of Irish mythology and and the modern day blends beautifully he's set it in a part of Ireland that is unfamiliar I suspect even to a lot of Irish people yeah, it's right. the, the, the overlooked midlands of the country <laughs> people either go to the east coast yeah. or the west coast yeah. or the north or the south but yeah. maybe not the centre of the yes. country and there's a, as you said that kind of melancholy tone that runs through the story not only the story itself but the illustrations mm. the, the it's quite a dark comic in terms of the colour palette mm. um, yes you get the kind of the muddy greens and browns of the swamp that I think is a deliberate kind of throwback to uh, the Swamp Thing comic mm. uh, that Alan Moore was writing for DC back sure. in the 80s uh, but then the what, the way that the comic the story then headed off in a direction that took me by surprise. Totally. Instead of focusing on the interaction between human and supernatural, we shift more and more into the supernatural yes. realm and a story of redemption, yes. which I With, found really quite within their, within their social yeah. sort of uh, uh, structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, it, yes, it wasn't uh, Manichaean in that set, sense that it's a setup of humans, not even verses, but you know, the, this, these separate worlds and we're seeing the interaction between them. But as you say, Richard, yeah, you, 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 you yeah, just it, it delves nicely and maybe in a bit of a Neil Gaiman way uh, into the sort of social relations, the the the, the power relations uh, between the, um, the the supernatural creatures themselves, and some beautiful, some very surprising design work from him. Because uh, later in the book uh, is that the wall man, the wall creature, oh, anyway, the uh, uh, the stone man, yeah, oh man, that amazing when that uh, turns up, you know. So it, it does some great. Yeah, thrilling, I think, uh, evocations of landscape. Uh, so, yes, we're talking about this book. We've got no idea how you might get your hands on it. I do. Oh, you do? I do, yes. Um, uh, you can. Uh, so it's The Bog Road by Barry Keegan. If you jump online, uh, it's published by Subcity Comics, www.subcitycomics.ie. You can order it from them for €15 Euro plus postage. Hmm. So, uh, and also you can check out uh, Barry Keegan online. Barry Keegan Comic Art on Facebook uh, is a good way to keep in touch with him. Or at Barry Keegan, K-E-E-G-A-N on Twitter to find out what he is doing next. Because he's got a previous series uh, before The Bog Road and yeah, the, Dark Pool, the Dark Pool, which is named after uh, Dublin, uh, the original Irish word for Dublin, Dublin. Uh, Dark, pool. Dark Pool. Yeah. Ah, great. So, great. yeah, continuing that fusion of Irish mythology and yeah. the everyday. Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah. Glad oh, you enjoyed pro- it. Props to him. Yeah, thanks, thanks to the lend. Uh, uh, so, yes, I did say that uh, we've got uh, uh, comics happening here which get uh, some some uh, support from our government. And this next one I'd like to talk about is Under Earth uh, Part 2, Volume 2 by Chris Gooch. And it's been supported by Creative Victoria. Good on you, Creative Victoria. 
Victoria. That's keeping things creative. Uh, and we've spoken a bit about Chris Gooch on the program because he is prolific. Uh, he uh, keeps getting he's uh, getting getting lot, lots of lots of different work out a uh, uh, couple of books from top shelf comics in america one collection of short stories one uh, graphic novel self-contained graphic novel but under earth is a is a this is a three volume uh, undertaking by chris and we're in volume 2 at the moment that's the most recent one that i've been able to get my hands on and it's a futuristic uh, city uh, which uh, and really, under Earth refers to the place in which the action takes place, which is a basically a prison underground. So an enormous underground uh, prison where the classic tropes of prison uh, uh, life—you know, the, the economies of prison, the brutalities of prison, the the local power bases of prison—are uh, are played out. Um, so the first book, of, co- of course, set up this world. Uh, and, and from a couple of visual clues, it looks to me, anyway, like uh, Chris Gooch is saying that this is under Melbourne, uh, just from a couple of the submerged buildings, uh, you know, a la Charlton Heston uh, and the um, uh, Statue of Liberty in the planet of the... What? What? You know, the, the, the dirty apes. Um, looks like it's under Melbourne. But uh, in the, I would just say after the reading this second volume, it is... Uh, remarkable the way that Gooch is upping the ante, the uh, emotional ante and the plotting ante of, not ante, well I can say ante, the, the, the stakes is what I mean. Uh, really very exciting. Um, reveals of people's motivations. Uh, there's a lot of surprises in this volume. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. so it, it's uh, produced, it's just blue and Blue, blue and white. Blue ink on white paper. Blue, blue yeah. ink on white paper. But incredibly visceral. As you're talking, I'm flipping through it, and the people wading through mud Mark. and fighting and blood, yeah. and uh, it looks intense. Yes, yeah, it is intense, and all of that is, I suppose, I want to say, all of that is earned. Like all every sludge through a, a pile of mud, every punch delivered by one uh, champion of the underground wrestling scene uh, to to another is loaded because he, uh, Chris has written, established the world so that uh, you know we can see that, say, the fight, this fighter. Guy is is involved in these fights. He's a very good fighter, but we know uh, the um, his his. Uh, he, he he's doing it against his will, you know. So so he, he he's doing it for other, re- you know. He's get, he's getting this, he's accruing this power to himself because, of course, every prisoner who is not the top boss person is, you know, dirt, basically. Uh, so there's. You know, it's it's a beautiful uh, examination of power in a petri dish, basically, and, and so we're in this under Earth petri dish, um, and uh, he's got a couple of parallel stories going. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, very exciting to read this book, and uh, so so it's called Under Earth, and it's by Chris Gooch. And uh, luckily, this is, this is part two. That's part two so, of yeah, three. Yeah, definitely so, are going to want to pick up part one mid- because volume. it literally opens yeah, in the middle of action. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's like one <laughs> of those films that is where somebody's a producer has just gone. Let's cut it there and make this part two, and people will spend more money on it. But in this case, it's uh, it's a clearly a planned narrative unfolding yeah. but 
throws you straight in. So I suspect unless you're already familiar with the world and the characters, it might be a, uh, a bit confusing. But yes, if you want Under Earth Part 2 by Chris Gooch, jump online, chrisgooch.com.au. And this weekend is Indie Comic Con at the Northcote Town Hall. So this is the second of, of, uh, of, of Indie Comic Cons, but also the second comics convention held at the Northcote Town Hall. They, they do uh, uh, the uh, Home Cooked Comics Festival earlier in the year. This is Indie Comic Con this weekend, this Saturday, uh, 11 uh, till 4 p.m. But the thing is, well, and, and there will be many creators there selling their works, but at 12.30 to 1.30, Chris Gooch will be uh, there. He's got a table there all day, but he'll be doing a talk. So uh, I'd really... Um uh, I recommend going to hear Chris talk about his process. Uh, Indie Comic Con is Indie, I-N-D-I-E, Comic Con, Con, yes, dot com dot A-U. And that's this, that's this weekend. Excellent. Yes. I suspect you'll be there. I think I'll go be trawling, trawling the stalls. <laughs> in which case, I look forward to you reviewing some of the comics that you collect there when we return to the airwaves in January. Excellent. All right. Bernard Callio, as always, a pleasure to see you. Uh, have a good Christmas, New Year. Uh, happy Bar Humbug, festive season greetings. Thank you very much. And I'll see you in the next decade. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. In St Kilda. Not only have they launched their 2020 season, but they've. it's a particularly important year. It's the 40th year for TheatreWorks as an organisation. Joining us to tell us more, TheatreWorks General Manager, Diane Toulson. Diane, welcome back to Triple R. Thank you very much. Good and to be here. 40 years, that's fantastic. It's a bit bizarre being there at this celebratory time. I sort of think, well, that's a long time to go, but then I think it's also very young. I guess I'm comparing that to me, I guess. But, <laughs> um, but it feels like a big thing to be the keeper of at the moment, um, to try and do justice to the 40 years. But look, really, our our main focus has been in our programming for next year um, and th- that's where the program looks really exciting and interesting and we'll focus on the birthday once we get the programming underway. <laughs> Fair enough too. Just before we talk about the programming, can you just take us back 40 years? How did TheatreWorks come about? Because it's in an old parish Hall in St Kilda. Yeah, so it's been in the parish hall for 35 years. So we've been in the home for 35 years, but TheatreWorks was um, conceived way back 40 years ago when a collective of artists or an ensemble of artists got together and decided that they wanted to make political, interesting work. They didn't have a venue, so they hopped from venue to venue, um, playhouse and all different venues, um, creating really um, grassroots um, work that was accessible to everyone, um, very Australian flavour. A lot of it was new work and new exciting writing um, so they sort of grew and grew and they did really creative uh, theatre. You know, it was on trams, it was in halls, it was in different venues so that because they didn't have a home, they got really creative about the type of work that they made and how they delivered that work to audiences. Um, uh, you know, very well known for storming Mont Albert by tram, storming St Kilda by tram, but there were a lot of other creative ways they um, presented their work as well. So, and then I think it grew to a point where um, they became a really solid ensemble of actors that were uh, were creating work very much like Red Stitch is now. Um, they were sort of like uh, 40 years ago the same um, and 
then it evolved into, well, we need a space to rehearse and they moved into the parish hall. Um, and it's had a, so many iterations since that 35 years ago. It's been so many different things and very much driven by lack of funding or funding or, you know, changes in direction or, you know, the capacity to sustain a venue and create work. Um, but, you know, it, it has shifted and but it keeps rebirthing as a home for the future of artists. So the artists that are emerging, the, the artists that are going to be the ones that are in the future are going to be on those main stages. So I think, you know, that's where we've evolved back to. And if you look at our 2020 program, it's very evident that that's where we are now. We're back where we started. We have ensembles. We're doing creative work. It's a lot of emerging work. And it feels really good to deliver that in the 40th year. It feels yeah. really exciting. It feels very true to Theatre Works. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as you say, over that 40 years, Theatre Works has been so many different things, but throughout that it's been a champion of the independent arts, both here in Melbourne and um, sometimes internationally, sometimes nationally as well. So for 2020, not only are you championing independent art and artists, but you're also making their work more accessible through um, a very significantly discounted ticket price, I understand. Yeah, we had to really, we had to look back at that 40 years and look at the you know, as an organisation, look at the impacts that were driving the changes all of the time. And if you look at it, if you're if you're an organisation that um, works better under funded model, where you're receiving funding, funding, um, you cannot then rely just on box office. So we looked at the the last you know, eight-year period where pricing for ticketing for every theatre had gone up. And I look at some of the main theatres and how under-accessible they are for artists and for just general public. Um, So we we went back to those grassroots and said, what did the 40 years ago, why did so many people go to the Theatre Work show? Because it was accessible, it was at their level, but it was also affordable. And we, we spoke to a lot of the artists we worked with over the last two years. We did a lot of audience measuring and a lot the majority of the time was our tickets prices make it under accessible for for their audience so we looked at that and we worked with the artists and we came up with this initiative which is going back to where we started there's a $20 ticket available for every show across the board throughout the whole season um, and that makes it accessible to everyone and to be honest you know it's more about supporting the artists the artists will actually get more money even though our ticket price is low because we believe that they'll attract more audience you know and we trialed that in 20 this year with pay what you feel and all these discountings. I mean, they were so labour-intensive to manage it and in the end, you know, the the overwhelming um, response was if you make it affordable, we'll come and we'll take the risk and that's where we're at, $20 tickets. And as you say, the, the fact that $20 is it, – it's kind of – it's still a bit of money if you're unemployed, for example. Yeah. 20 bucks is, um, represents quite a few meals, but at the same time, it's also a relatively low investment to take a risk on uh, because rather than paying $45, $55, $85 for a show that you don't know whether you're going to enjoy it or not, yeah. 
20 bucks. It's a cheap bottle of red. Um, yeah. And we, we looked at that and said we have to take the risk out of it. We can't ask the artists to put forward work where they're not taking a risk to try and meet audience expectations on a $45 ticket. You know, that's a they're paying a dollar a minute to see a show and it's a risk. And we get that. And the artists also understand that. But we, we don't want to say to the artists, try and conform to a $45 ticket. What we've said is let people take a risk. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. And if they come... And, you know, they hate it, they love it, they they have conversations about it. The $20 is not going to send them away going, oh, I won't go back there, it costs 45 bucks, you yeah. know. Yeah. Now, the 2020 season is kicking off with shows for the Midsummer Festival. You've also got comedy festival shows in there. Talk to us about some of the highlights of the year. Yeah, so with our Midsummer, it's gay. It's very gay, apparently. <laughs> That's in some of the marketing. Um, it is very focused. We're, we're really excited to have a show from Western Australia. We've got a show from Sydney, and we're also supporting local works as well. We're working with the Feral Queer Camp crew, and we've got some big announcements coming up with that, with some new initiatives coming through with the Feral Queer Camp. That's an opportunity that everyone should look at, so check that out on the Midsummer or the Theatre Works website. Um, that's about the writers and the review viewers and the way we speak about queer arts in the future so please do check that one out um, we, we're very focused in 2020 on new writing so uh, kicking off the main season the great great Australian play by Kim Ho um, we're working with the Montague basement in Sydney um, that'll be a great um, Australian play. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. I've had my eye on Kim's career for several years now. He's a kind of um, passionate, articulate uh, writer and artist and just the the sheer notion of calling a play the great Australian play is cheeky and audacious and I'm really intrigued to see what he comes yeah, up with. Yeah, I think he's a very clever writer so I think you will uh, really love that one. We really balance the season out too and thinking about, you know, that we're, we're an organisation that needs to do work that is accessible to everyone um you know and we rely on that box office um to support the running of the organization so we've tried to balance it out with some more um, mainstream works um but they'll be fun works and they're they're also still produced by independent small companies here in melbourne and and that one of theatre works aims is to support emerging and new companies to present work so if you look at Voldemort and the teenage Hogwarts um, it'll be a really fun show and the team they're doing that Salty Theatre they're an emerging comedic company that's Melbourne based and they're very exciting we just did people suck with them and that was their first emergence onto our stage and and we believe they're a company of the future so um, we're really excited to be presenting that one and You've also later in the in the year program. I mean, we've got feminist science fiction, we've got comedy, <laughs> but we've also then got one of the the bedrocks of the Australian theatrical canon, Summer of the Seventeenth Doll. In the yeah, mix. absolutely. And you know, I'm I'm not one for you know I, I'm not one for remails or old works, but you know what? I think it's really important that those stories are still told and we still have we when we surveyed our audience over this year 80 percent of them were under 30 years old so if we look at that these are people that may not have seen this work or may not know it so it's also on the syllabus so you know it is um a vital piece of work um so it's really important that we still support the the uh, older stories that are still current you know and then the i guess the flip side of that something that is a much newer play but is becoming uh, canonical and 
Andrew Bovell's When the Rain Stops Falling, which I've never seen a production of. It's been programmed, I think, in, in Adelaide, for example, and in Sydney, but I, I've not had a chance to see a local production. So. I've got to say, when this one came across the desk, I was so excited. I worked with Andrew Bovell last year, and I'm like, I just want to do one of your plays. But the, the Iron Lung Theatre, again, they're an amazing Melbourne-based uh, producing little theatre company that are going to be the next um, big thing, I believe, and they're so exciting to work with. They came in with a vision. It will be very different than what's been before, but, you know, it has... I mean, you know, Frances Greenslade is one of the main actors is a huge attraction, but I think their approach to the way they're producing it is super exciting and we're going to see an amazing uh, production of theatre. Now... One of the things I wanted to acknowledge is that uh, TheatreWorks has, as you uh, referenced earlier in the conversation, uh, has gone from uh, the highs and lows of funding challenges. This year has been a bit of a challenge when uh, the the company was knocked back uh, for Australia Council funding. You weren't invited to submit a uh, a four-year funding application. So there is uh, an opportunity for listeners to support TheatreWorks by making uh, a financial donation. Think of it as a Christmas present to the Melbourne Independent Arts Centre and uh, all donations over $2 are tax deductible. Uh, so uh, you could email development at theatreworks.org.au if you wanted to donate, not only to keep TheatreWorks alive, uh, but to help it celebrate its 40th year in style. That would be awesome. Thank you. That's great. Absolute pleasure. Happy to, to give that a plug and really looking forward to seeing kind of the array of work that's been programmed next year. Why the decision to put out a full program all in one go rather than do kind of, uh, I know, a season one and a season two as done previously? Oh, look, there was a lot of decision around that. There was about did it work this year, having three chapter launches and not necessarily, but it was also about making a statement, okay, when we we had a plan going into possibly not receiving that opportunity to apply for funding, we had a plan, but as an organisation we felt that it was necessary to really measure where we were and to be so certain about the future financially that because we make a commitment to those artists when we program that work, so we wanted to ensure that we were viable so that you know this is a statement to say that we are we're so proud of where we're at and that next year is going to be exciting and that we know we can achieve great things and that we can sustain it financially even with the $20 tickets I think we'll engage more audience so it's really a statement about where we're at and how excited we are for the future and we really want to kick off that 40th year with you know so much that people look at it and go yes they're vibrant they're active they're achieving you know we also initiated the she writes program where we had over 40 applications and we've appointed 12 female writers in residence um, in partnership with the vca Um, that's a new announcement Um, we have 12 associate artists and we have three companies in residence so we're really looking at 2020 being a year that actually turns cedarworks around and goes back to that 40 years where it's a vibrant hub of activity for artists. Well, I'm looking forward to lots of shows and a fantastic season. So, Diane, thanks for joining us. Uh, for more info about TheatreWorks, which is located at 14 Ackland Street, St Kilda, jump online, theatreworks.org.au. Pick up a copy of the 2020 programme. The first show for the year kicks off on the 19th of January as part of Midsummer Festival. It looks like 2020 is going to be a very exciting and accessible year at TheatreWorks in St Kilda. My guest has been the General Manager of TheatreWorks, Diane Tulson. Diane, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much.
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. In St Kilda, and has dropped in to tell us about the Linden Postcard Show, which is the exhibition showing now until the 9th of February. Melinda, the postcard show's become iconic in so many ways. It is. It is like this much-loved beast that kind of takes over our lives. I feel like I can mark my life by the time the postcard – it's the next postcard show adventure. Um, So this year we have 1,247 works on the walls. That's insane. Yeah, it took, took four days to hang and then the sort of logistical three days to make sure that you've got all the right labels with the right works. Um, so it's a huge exhibition um, that covers all the walls in the gallery. Now, it's been running since 1990, I believe. It's, next year we turn 30 which is a big kind of year for us. And we've got some secret celebrations up our sleeve. Um, But it's one of those really interesting things. It started out, as I understand it, from like, you know, as as the urban myth rolls down towards you. Um, There are lots of post-World War II migrants who moved to St Kilda after World War II. And because of their lives, they had to sort of, you know, go and get jobs, raise their families, start different lives. They couldn't actually practice the art that they had been trained to do. So the local um, people running the gallery at the time decided to put on this kind of show that would celebrate that creativity, that it still exists within people's lives, it's just that lives have changed and things like that. So ever since then, we have been putting the show on. And there's been some pretty amazing winners in the past too. And one of the things that I that fascinates me and delights me about the exhibition is, I mean, the accessible nature of it. Anybody can submit an artwork for consideration. Uh, And the parameters of it, it is literally postcard kind of... Dimensions. Yeah. So literally it is eight by ten inches. That is the only rule that we really go by and anyone can do anything. So we have kids in this show. We have people who are working in out-of-age care homes. Um, we have people from Arts Project Australia. We have a whole range of and professional artists as well. So, But there are also lots of hobby artists who, you know, are like learning to paint or painting on the weekends and they come and celebrate they're having their work in a gallery wall, which is exciting. How many, in terms of the, the submissions that are received, how many of them are from locals from uh, in and around the city of Port Phillip? It's because a, if it began as a as a, a kind of celebration and showcase and honouring of locality, has it maintained that or has it broadened enormously? It's broadened enormously. So we have artworks from every state and territory in the country as well as a really nice local contingent of as well. So we've probably got about 15% of, art, of artists in the show are from the local community, but the rest come from wide and far, which is lovely. Now, in terms of the range of works, you've mentioned the, the kind of range of artists who are submitting work from professionals to hobbyists to students and more. But what about the, the kind of mediums that people are working in? Because the winning work this year was a photograph, for mm-hmm. example, rather than a painting or, or a collage or an assemblage. But I'm guessing you get the full spectrum of... We get the full spectrum of everything. The only works that we don't accept are technologically based words, so video and things like that, because it's, and we don't accept sculpture because we post the works back at the end of the show it's just a bit too fragile for us to do that so essentially if you can hang it on the wall we will we will show the work so it is a really rich diverse kind of show and one of the things I love about it is that 
people are really opinionated when they come in. So every visitor feels comfortable enough to say, I like this or I don't like this. Um, Whereas often in other shows that we put on, sometimes it's a little quieter because people are kind of discerning whether they understand what might be happening. So this show is a really kind of open conversation. Which is a really valuable thing for any gallery to do, to provide what an entry point into the world of contemporary art, which we all know can sometimes be a little bit daunting, a little bit kind of insiderish or cliquish. Absolutely. We've all stood at the edge of that, you know, pristine gallery and gone, mm, I don't know that I get this. Um, so this is a show that really celebrates diversity. It celebrates colourful, creative work. And there's things like, you know, there's portraits of dogs, there's portraits of people, there's landscapes, seascapes, pretty much anything you could possibly imagine, it is there. Now, let's talk about the the prize element of it, Mm -hmm. because as well as being a celebration of art and of community, uh, it is also an art prize. Uh, Mm -hmm. The judges this year uh, gave the Palais Theatre uh, Prize, supported by the Palais Theatre Community Fund, uh, $2,500 cash prize, to a photograph by Mark Hopper, Sean the Wanderer. What was... What was it about this work that drew the judge's eye? So this is a black and white photograph, a very simple photograph of a close-up kind of face of a man. Um, And Sean, as I understand it from talking to Mark, is homeless and wanders the streets. I've seen him around St Kilda, but I know that he doesn't just live around that area. There is something so compelling about his eyes when you look at the photograph. They're so piercing that you wonder whether is he about to break out into a laugh and tell you this like a hilarious joke or is he about to maybe ask you for some money? You don't know. And there's this kind of beautiful tension between looking at someone who has this incredibly piercing look at you and you feel a little vulnerable when you look at the work as well as this kind of really kind of what might happen next is the kind of thing that you feel when you look at his at that photograph, which is really compelling. And the artist, Mark Hopper, is, uh, is he a professional artist? He's a professional photographer. So he works um, taking portraits of people um, during the day and this is a work that he um, was just sort of, you know, hanging around with his camera one day and took the photograph. Um, and it was really interesting because we ring the artist to let them know that they've won a prize. We don't tell them just to make sure that they're going to be there at the opening. And when I rang him, he kind of was like, oh, don't be ridiculous, you're just pulling my leg. I'm like, I don't have time to ring artists and have jokes with people. Um, And he was so surprised to win the first prize, which I think is really lovely because it means that people really value the contribution that, that the sponsors make too. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that it won the first prize and not the Best Portrait Award, for example. There was a little bit of tension between that. Um, but in the end, they the, both the um, judges really actually sat and tossed it around and they kept coming back to this work, which I think says something about the power of photography, that if you keep coming back to an image that draws you in, then it says something about how good it is. When we live in a world saturated by photographs, um, it says something about the quietness of this work as well, I think. Yeah. Now, the judges this year were uh, Julie McLaren, the mm-hmm. curator at uh, Ballarat Art Gallery, and Philip Adams from Philip Adams Ballet Lab and Temperance Hall. So, That's right. Yeah. We always try and get a regional gallery person as well as someone who's living in Melbourne. And Philip is someone who has collected work from the Postcard Show for many years, but also was an absolute collect contemporary art. And when we asked him last year, could he do it? He's like, oh, no, I'm in Canberra. I can't do it. So, okay, we're getting the date in the diary early. So we got in this year and he loved it. 
which is great. Fantastic. Now, um, given that we've just acknowledged the a portrait that won the first prize, let's talk about the the portrait award. Who was the winner this year, and what was the work like? So this this year, it's an artist called Robert Fenton, and it's a work called We Can Fix This, I think, and it's this really interesting little painting, which is taken from um, a kind of work from that would be from the colonial period. So if you imagine a kind of colonial depiction of an Indigenous person with an animal and then over it it's kind of like you're looking through a smashed windscreen and there's a little bit of tape and it's really about this kind of really interesting conversation. You actually can't see the face and it's this really interesting conversation about what it is about how we as a dominant white culture respect Indigenous culture in this country, can we fix the relationships and the things that have happened in the past but also how can we reconsider how we depict people as well. So it's this really interesting conversation and the judges felt that was a really powerful conversation to be having to inspire people to think about what portraiture can be as well. If you've just tuned in, my guest is Melinda Martin, the director of Linden New Art, which is located uh, at 26 Ackland Street, St Kilda. And we're talking about the annual Linden Postcard Show, which has been running since 1990. Now, all the artworks are for sale. They are indeed. How many of them have been snapped up so far? We have sold close to $47,000 worth of work so far. So we've sold, I think, about 250 or so. We've got a few more to go. Yeah. But a uh, great idea for a Christmas present, a piece of unique contemporary art that is literally postcard size. So easy to transport, easy to post, easy to wrap. Absolutely. And I think one of the great things about this show is that people just – it's not something that they think, oh, I don't have a wall space for that. You can actually fit a little work into your life somewhere. Yeah. Now, we've said that they are little works and that there are so many of them. Talk to us about the challenge of actually curating this show so that the works are in dialogue with themselves and one another, not just haphazardly hung about the walls. We spend a lot of time thinking about how we will install the show and we're really lucky in that when people apply, they upload photographs. So we kind of have an idea of what we might be getting before they actually arrive in the building. But essentially this year we have used the colour spectrum. So we, you walk in and it's red, then it goes around to orange and yellow and green. And it's a really strong way to hang the works because you can actually see the difference in them as well as they sit within their colour um, and the diversity with them as well. So it's one of those, it's a challenge. We, um, you know, try and make them in grid format, which means that, you know, people laugh. Oh, that must be, you know, like one nail per work. Oh, no, it's sometimes about four nails per work. Um, So you have to think of us when we have to take it down because there's a lot of spack feeling that occurs to our poor walls in in the gallery. Now, I'm guessing also, given that this is uh, the the annual summer exhibition showing until the 9th of February, um, are are there floor talks? Are there activities for the kids over summer? Yeah, so we have some drop-in activities for kids. They can draw their own um, portrait or or winning prize in the in, to hang up on the wall so they can stick it up in one of the walls and leave it there. We also are working with the NGV and in the last sort of weeks of January we do their Kids on Tour program which is a free drop-in activity and also in mid-Jan we've got the winning artists coming to talk about their work which is always great because people actually love hearing from the artists themselves so they'll share their insights into what the stories behind how they made the work. For more info about the annual Linden Postcard Show, which is running, as I said, until the 9th of February, jump online, lindenarts.org. Linden New Art, located at 26 Ackland Street, St Kilda, in a beautiful kind of uh, restored old home. Yes. Victorian? Victorian, built it in the gold rush. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful space. If you've not been to Linden before, um, 
make the most of, I don't know, an afternoon in St Kilda, grab an ice cream, go for a stroll, go to the beach and look at and perhaps think about buying some original Australian art. Melinda Martin, the director of Linda New Art, has been my guest. Melinda, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 